podcast. I'm Not Great Parent Molly, and this is my co-host, Not Great Parent Nathan. Hello. How's everyone doing today? How are you? Not great. Not great, but that's all right. We don't want to be great. <laughs> yeah, no, today has been, a, uh, has been a weird day for me. I got a lot of different things on my plate. I got some stress at work. I told you I had uh, I had a message due on Thursday that I wrote the entire thing of and literally I had like 200 words left to go. And then I got done and I said, mm, no, this isn't it. So, and I kept thinking, I'll change 300 words and that'll fail. I'll just go in and insert stuff. Every time I change something, I've now basically rewritten the whole thing, but it's not quite there. So I'm stressed about that because I'm yeah. a little behind on that. Then I got some family chaos and stress at home, yeah. uh, just the whole thing. So today, not great, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. You why can... is that okay, Molly? Well, yeah, I'm telling you. You need me to tell you why it's not yeah, okay. I need to know. You need please, to know why it's not reassure okay. Reassure me. Because the things you're talking about, greatness, a great message, Correct. a great family, you know, no friction or chaos at yes. home, a, you know, smooth, you know, smooth every single thing yes. and maximizing in your time, energy, effort and everything isn't really the life that God asks no. us to have in our families and in our own lives. And so we strive to live within the goodness of God That's and right. help our families and our children um, also live there and not the greatness that the world defines. And those things you're saying, having to have the perfect message, yes. having to have kids yes. that are getting along perfectly and no yes. one's upset about anything and you got out the door on the per at the perfect time and mm -hmm. all those things, that all is defined by great. That's right. So you're not great. I'm not great. And our goal ultimately, as you said, is we want to pursue the goodness of God. And we've said for a long time that when you pursue the greatness of God, you miss out, or the greatness of this world, you often miss out on the goodness, goodness of, God. of God. But, you know, one thing that I think we haven't really hit on a ton, which we're trying to in this new series, Parenting Makes Me Crazy, <laughs> uh, is this idea that it is this pursuit of greatness, that when you look at the pursuit of greatness in the world, uh, it, it causes a lot of pressure, mm -hmm. stress, mm -hmm. anxiety, maybe depression when mm -hmm. life is not going the way that, that you thought it should go right. Um, and I know as we've talked in a lot of different ways, you eventually get yourself into this groove, this pattern of living and thinking that's hard to get yourself out of. Oh yeah. And we're seeing more and more in our world somehow, uh, all the measurable standards of living. And what I mean is crime rate mm -hmm. going down, mm -hmm. right? Uh, life expectancy going up, right? Mm -hmm. The amount of uh, just the median standard of living in our country Better, yeah, going, up. going up, right? In most developed countries, all kind of measurable things you'd go, man, life is better than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. But then when you start measuring things like loneliness, mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, kind General of general happiness yes. or think you, people's state of being. That's how right. They the feel they're doing the stress that people are. That's a good way to say it. They're by measurable standards. Everyone's doing better than they've ever done mm -hmm. by the kind of subjective standard. How do I feel I'm doing? Right. Man, those things, uh, mental health uh, struggles are on the rise. Right. Anxiety, depression, loneliness can all be mm -hmm. part of that. And even things like suicidal thoughts. And when you look at all of that um, and how closely it is also tied to, once again, correlation mm -hmm. does not necessarily mean causation. Right. But when you look at, when you look at 
man, the standard of living goes up, affluence goes up, mm -hmm. life expectancy goes up, and mental health goes up. It's hard not to see how a pursuit of everyone should be living up here on the greatness standard, mm -hmm. which is all of those things. My business is doing right. well. My income is doing well. Everyone's, this is all great stuff. Living longer, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Living longer is great. Not always that good. But <laughs> no, not always but, good. But, you're, but we would say, we're, we people would generally say, I want to live a long life. I want life. to live longer. I want crime to go down. Yes. I want there to be less violent crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, we tend to focus on the statistics, certainly of like mass shootings and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of tends to be our thing. But if you look at violent crime overall, it's in this down. country, it's going down. Like, it's not the same it was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But our feeling of it. Mm -hmm. We feel that we it's We feel terrible. more stressed. And I do think part of that is uh, our pursuit of greatness. Mm -hmm. Our desire that I'm supposed to have everything together and, and never have friction, never have chaos. Mm -mm. And I, you know, I know I talk about this a lot. I and I've got to put it on social media for everyone oh, to see how sure. I'm doing. Oh, yeah, sure. Social I don't media even, I'm not even my only judge of how I'm doing. That's right. Um, everybody else is, too. Yes. And so we're doing a series uh, all about really how to, how to help with mental health and how followers of Jesus should really look at um, our mental health because, well, Jesus cares about your spiritual health, right? right? And for many Christians, that's what we think, that's all he cares about. Jesus came to save my soul, and what we think save my soul means is my spirit. Right. Well, we when we when most people say soul, what they're actually talking about is what the Bible would call your spirit. Mm -hmm. Most people think your soul is this like a um, disembodied part of you yes. that like floats away when floats you die. Yes. I don't know. Have you seen those studies that people have done where they like they put people on those uh, 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 producer Charlie? What do you, what do you call like the really like massive scales that people get put on and they do like tiny micro, like they can get down to like tiny little grams. They can see, you know what I'm talking about? We call those scales. Oh, they're scales? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm like, wow, I don't. They will, they've done these studies where they put people <coughs> who are dying and they'll, they'll weigh them. And like at the moment of death, there's like some minuscule amount of weight you lose oh really oh yes and people are like that's your soul leaving your body oh your soul oh yeah people are like body. convinced that's evidence that like your evidence evidence that that's not what your soul is. no okay in the biblical definition that might be what you call your spirit there's this kind of part of you that's not your brain mm -hmm. and it's not your heart mm -hmm. right there's not a physical organ for it right like your everyone kind of knows your mind is different than your brain mm -hmm. like your mind can think about your brain mm -hmm. Like, that's a different yeah. kind of concept. Your soul, though, in the biblical imagination, is your entire person. Right. It's but we don't think of it that way. No. And so when Jesus did come to save your soul, but he's talking about your entire person. Mm -hmm. Jesus came not only so that you could have life after this life, mm -hmm. but he clearly Jesus healed people's physical bodies. So he cares about your physical health. Mm -hmm. Jesus cares about your emotional health. Mm -hmm. Jesus cares about the health of your relationships. Mm -hmm. Jesus obviously also cares about your mental health. And so we're trying to do a series saying, what would Jesus have people who are going through what some people in our country are calling a mental health crisis these days, the amount that it's growing? How would Jesus help followers of his living in our country dealing with this kind of stress and anxiety and depression? 
And we have tenderly called it Parenting Makes Me Crazy. Yeah, because it doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And I think it's... And maybe not every day, all day. But there are certainly moments where you go, ah, and yes. you go, am I doing this right? Am I doing this? And I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't care, you probably wouldn't be listening to this. Yeah. So, Molly, I know one of the things that I think complicates it for parents. I think every individual mm -hmm. certainly worries about their own mental health. But when you're right. a parent... You're also worried about your kids' mental health. Right. When you are a parent, you think a lot about your kids' mental health. I mean, yes. and and you can't escape that within conversations mm -hmm. between other parents or school mm -hmm. or other things. And we went to a conference. I think we've referenced mm -hmm. it a few different times, but we went to a conference and there was a, a new book, some materials that were presented saying what parents aren't telling you, yes. I think it was called. I think that's what And it's uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes yeah. if you guys are interested. But um, one of the biggest areas was mental health. And it right. was, the book was saying, parents on the whole, this is, you know, this is the mm -hmm. percentage of parents on the whole that are worried about mental health. And then it even segmented it down to Christian parents if they right. were worried about it. And did we feel equipped to handle it? And right. a lot of different things. So that sparked some really good conversations among us. And we know that if other parents are thinking that you guys are too. And so that's why, you know, we yeah. want to be talking about this because it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, it's on your mind. Well, and our hope would be, I would hope that Christian parents would be better equipped right. to, to talk about mental health because Jesus cares about all of it. Right. Jesus cares about all. And I don't mean in a professional clinical sense. I don't mean that everyone needs to go, just like I don't think every person uh, should be able to talk about physical health at the same part. Right. But I do think Jesus cares about our mental, I mean, our physical health, and we should be prepared to really deal with that. That right. Christians should take seriously their physical health, just like we should take serious our mental health, just right. like we should take care of our spiritual health. All of them. All of it matters. And so I think when parents freak out about uh, the mental health of their kids, often one of the first thoughts that we have is, what if my kid is struggling and they're not telling me? Yes, I think that's a common fear of yeah. parents. And I noticed like September, I think, is Suicide Awareness Month, and okay. I've seen a bunch of like social media sure. things where people have parents been talking are, about yes. this. You know, Very parents concerned. are saying, "Oh, but my kids, my child didn't tell me," or right. or um, what if, or what are yes. signs, or whatever the case may be. But as a parent, we want our children to be talking to us. Yes. But if they're not, or if we fear they're not, what does that, you know, what how, how does that impact us and impact yes. our our life at home with our and child? I, I think particularly with if you have. Um, teenagers because, right. and I will say this just to start, uh, regardless of mental health or not, your teenager is going to talk to you less than they did when they were in elementary school, uh, right? Yes, absolutely. Because no one, I, I don't meet many parents that are freaked out about their six-year-old's mental health because my, my seven-year-old, at least, she's my youngest, Every time there's a scrape or a boo-boo, she has to come tell me, Daddy, this morning yes, I cut this little it. tiny bit of my finger. This and is I've how been, it made me feel And this inside. is how it made me feel, and I'm so sad. And that's a great thing. That's a great uh, ability to have those dialogues. And there are ways in which, at that age, you can foster it when they get older. But it's also natural that my 11-year-old, who used to do the same mm -hmm. thing, does not now anymore. doesn't talk to me as much as she. I mean, she's almost 12 now. 
She does not speaking to me about every little ache and pain. She's dealing with a lot of it internally. Mm -hmm. So I do want to first set parents' minds at ease go, it's normal. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It doesn't mean your child has some clinically definable mental health thing if they're not talking to you. That is normal. That as your child ages, and we've talked about it, and we've actually talked about that that is a good thing. Sure, it's part of independence. It's part of independence. As your child gets older, they're learning some independence. We don't want them to not speak to you at all. Yes. But that there are some things that, you know, as they grow, as we are growing our children to live a good life that God has um, identified, then they're going to take on some more of their stuff themselves. But uh, we want them to be talking to us. Yeah, I certainly would rather them talk to me than one of their 13, 14, 15-year-old friends, Uh you know, or I would want them to be able to talk to an adult that I trust. Yes. Certainly someone in the student ministry at church, you know, a a leader that they've met here, someone that I I would want them to talk to someone who's going to point them in the direction that I want. And so mm-hmm. I think for this episode, uh, you sat down with uh, Jason, who's on our staff. as uh, He's one of our teaching pastors, but he's starting to kind of move towards this position as he has been uh, going back to school to become a licensed counselor of, of really spending a lot of time counseling people. Right. And so you sat and talked with him about this idea, right? How do I foster healthy mental health conversations? Right, how does mental health become part of our family dialogue and and conversations that, you know, help reassure me as a parent that I'm going to be able, my child and I are going to be able to communicate around where where they're at mentally on certain things. So yes, let's talk about how to talk about mental health, or just let's just talk about what it means to have healthy dialogue in your home okay. around mental mm. health. Wow. Light topic. Big question. How do you talk about talking about mental health? Because mm-hmm. mm. you're not going to sit down with your child and say, "Yes, tell me about your mental health." Yes. Well, it or you it, might. It has to be. You have to figure out. I, I think it always comes down to. Just like everything else, it comes down to communication. Mm-hmm. Having healthy communication skills um, develop between you and your kids, and the only way you do that is just through repetition, right? And doing it a lot because it's not. I'm not a big. I want to say this carefully. I'm not a big fan of uh, of having just these very segmented. Okay, I talk to my kid during these times, and then that's it. But at the same time, I do think you have to have some intentionality about it. Yep. So I think there's a balance. And what I mean by that is I think you've got to take the opportunities to communicate with your kids as much as you possibly can. But you've got to think through when that's going to be and be intentional about it. So, like, my point is, let's say, you know, when your kids come out, come in from school and every parent's, how was school, Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what you're going to get. You're going to get the one word answer. Or you're Fine. Gonna, yeah, you're going to get blowed off or whatever. And then mm-hmm. they're going to go off to do whatever they're going to do. Um, and then, so you've got to be a little more uh, intentional. You've got mm-hmm. to be a little more creative mm-hmm. uh, about that kind of stuff. And you might have to um, be a little, make it a little more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you've got little kids. Yeah, know? I mean, I think age plays a factor in, in when and how Absolutely. you do it as well. And. I just read something uh, somewhere, and I don't remember where I read it. Maybe it was like a, a meme online or something, and I thought it was really true. Somebody said something about your kid is not going to come home and 
tell you, Dad, I need to talk about my feelings. But they will come and ask you to go play ball because mm-hmm. they do that a lot. You know, Mom, Dad, come, <coughs> come play with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, come, you know, do this thing with me. They want you to participate in something. Well, for a kid, that is an invitation to communicate. Mm-hmm. That and and what you'll find is the talking can happen around that activity that they really like to do. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I know uh, I work with some people who do uh, therapy for children. Yeah. And a lot of what they do is they just sit at a table and they draw or they sit and they play a game or, you know, they're in the floor with some Play-Doh or whatever. And while the activity is going on, they just ask questions. Right. You know, and when you're and when you're not face to face and like, tell me about your day, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> You get more interaction. That's why I often, um, especially with parents of teenagers, I used to tell them, I'd say, um, you've got all this time in the car with your kid. And it's a really good time to talk because you're not face to face and it's a little less vulnerable. A little less, but you're still, you're still there. You're there and you're stuck in this. Yes. So just start asking lots of questions. Yeah. And, you know, don't get frustrated because, you know. You're just expect that you're not going to get every, get don't go into it with expectations of what types of answers right. you're going to get. You know, we have a tool that we've recently started producing that gives um, families, depending on your age, different hmm. questions to kind of yep. ask at different times. So for younger kids, it's like cuddle time, mm-hmm. bedtime, bath time, and drive time is in every every yep. different age group and then there's mm-hmm. dinner time and drive time and and these are just questions to just kind of start having conversations mm-hmm. and i think you know i think that they're building blocks the younger you start this the better it, and the more like you said repetition the more often you're having different conversations mm-hmm. about anything yeah. you're going to open yourself up to Mm-hmm. probably more conversations about other things when yep. you want to present and it, difficult and it takes conversation. A while. It does. You've you got to stay with it because I can remember the first time that I tried to do something a little more intentional with my girls. It didn't go so well at first because mm-hmm. we weren't used to it. In fact, they kind of thought it was corny at right. first. You know, um, we did a thing where uh, when we would sit around the dinner table, um, I would ask, like, like table topic questions. Table topic questions. We started with just a high low, if you uh-huh. know about that. Tell me the best part of your day. Tell me the worst part of your day. And, um, you know, at first I got really surfacey kind of answers. But then as they, we just, I just stayed after it. Mm-hmm. And the more they got used to it, it was almost the point where I, I knew I was doing it. I was thinking about my answers before I got to the table. Right. Because I didn't want to just have nothing. And I noticed that they also would do the same thing. And, and, and the older they got, the more detailed it got as well. And so... Um, but you just made that a priority. Just made it a priority. Just didn't just didn't give up when, you know, it didn't work for two or three days. Because mm-hmm. you're going to have periods of time where it's just not going to go well. And some kids respond differently. So I have two kids, obviously, they're, mm-hmm. 10, or they're 11 and, and almost 6. And my 11-year-old is really great in the car. If we're driving down... Or at bedtime. Those are kind of his best times Mm -hmm. to want to have conversation. I think bedtime is often because he doesn't want to go to bed. But I don't care. Because, you know, we and we actually say that he and Ben, Ben will go up to tell him goodnight. And I say, you guys are going to have to keep the fireside chat kind of... (laughs) 
kind of short tonight because it's getting kind of late or That's whatever right. it might be. You have to have but that, they know yes. that that is quality time. I know that that is quality time with my child. Yeah. But my younger one, those are really great times for him, to be mm. honest with you. But he loves a good table topic type of game. Okay. Henry, think, my older child, thinks it's dumb to read it off a card and ask questions. Mm -hmm. My younger child can't get enough of it. Yep. And then he wants to make up his own questions. Mm -hmm. And it's silly and it's, yep. you know, whatever. But it leads to... It, I think of it as a building block. I'm investing this time mm -hmm. and this energy and this intentionality as a parent with him. And, you, and what's important is, is you've noticed the difference. Yes. And you're making adjustments based on your kid. Right. That's why it's so hard to do these kinds of answer questions in a very specific way because every single parent out here who's watching or listening, you've got a unique kid right. that is going to respond to some things that my child won't respond to mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so for me to tell you, do this and it will work. Oh, that'd be stupid and disingenuous on my part. Mm -hmm. What I what I am saying is you got to be, like Molly just said, well, like you're being aware of right. I've got a child who this is what they respond to. i got a child that they don't, but they respond to this. Mm -hmm. And so you you adjust. You pivot. Yeah, because you we've talked about on here being the student of your child where That's you're right. – your job as a parent, in part, is mm -hmm. to know what makes them tick. Absolutely. And so that you can communicate to them in the way that they need to be communicated to. Just like you discipline your children differently. Yes. You have to communicate to your children differently. So, you know, they're, I always would tell parents when they talk about discipline issues, I'd say, well, whatever works for one child is not going to work for the other because you got to find what currency your child is working on. Right. <laughs> you know, because there are some things you can you know, take things away from certain children and it doesn't phase them a bit. They don't feel that any kind of, right. you know, corrective measure being done. But then there are others that you got to be very careful what you take away from right. them because you can crush their spirit. Also in the way that you speak to your children. I had one uh, child that I found out real fast that being uh, harsh or stern with them, uh, I had to be very careful because I, I could see when I would get too much on that end, I, I would one. really crush them. And they took it very, very personally. And so I had to figure out, oh, how can I communicate? Because I'd still have to communicate there's rules. Yeah, so that the behavior That's needs right. to change. I need to communicate that to them. But if I'm doing it in a way that crushes their spirit, then I'm doing harm. So I had to back off and figure out. And then there are other kids that, you, you know, I'm not saying go full on yelling at them, but I'm saying you've got to... You got to mm -hmm. put your foot down and be the boss because that's the way that they, that's the way that they respond. So all that to say, like you said, really good words. Uh, be a student of your child mm -hmm. and then adjust based on what they need the most. Mm -hmm. I think you know we 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 have talked a ton on this podcast about creating healthy dialogue. I mean, we just feel we just know it's so essential to the yep. relationship between parent and child, but also in to to empower your children to be able to have a healthy dialogue with other people you have oh, yeah. to you know you have to lead with that mm -hmm. so um well one thing that does happen in families we can come up with a whole list of examples is where things become a really big deal yes and sometimes they are a big deal and sometimes mm -hmm. they're a big deal to certain people and not to yeah. others so let's kind of just before we before we get too far into kind of what do you do about make, when everything becomes a big deal, let's just give some examples of what we think might be a good big deal. So, I think a lot of times, you know, we in this podcast we often talk about what the world thinks is great versus what God says is good, and mm -hmm. I think we often can look at the list of what the world says is great, and those things often become big deals. So, yeah. for example, it's a big deal if you're not getting great grades. 
and mm. it's not a big deal, mm. but it becomes a big deal. Yeah. That's See, what that's where I mean yeah. the world says it is. We as good parents would right. say, that is not what God is worried about. And so we are so if we're exploding about grades, then we are probably yeah. having things be a big deal that as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking You can um and th- and this is just me. This is where I come from. I have found in my parenting journey that the amount of things that happened in my child's life that were a big deal were almost zero. Yeah. They were very, very, very small. Most of the things that I treated like they were a big deal, looking back on them now, I was overreacting. Mm-hmm. Because usually what what we experience in the moment with our kids um we way overreact to in most cases. That was my experience. Because yeah. I did it. And I'm not saying, you know, I was perfect. That's what I'm saying. I learned it. Yeah. Um, so for me, what I've really had to try to do is whenever my kid says something or they come home with something that is feels like a big deal mm-hmm. to me, I, I just it, I have to discipline myself to just take a step back. And listen. Don't address it or just sit and listen or maybe you know, talk to my wife about it for a little bit uh, uh-huh. and just to kind of get a little more perspective and ask that age old question of, is this going to matter in five years? Is this yeah. going to matter in 10 years? You know, I laugh. most of the time it's not. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of an example. Okay. So a few years an and it involves your wife. <laughs> Great. She'll <laughs> sorry, love Helga. this. So sorry. So a few years ago when we were at the Ashley Park campus yeah. and I was teaching or I was leading in student ministry and your mm-hmm. daughter was in my group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your wife came up to me and she was, we were just talking and she was saying how stressed out and there was just a push and pull between she and your daughter mm-hmm. over her room being clean. Yes. And that it was a constant stress yes. because, you know, your wife was saying, I don't want her to move out of my house and go have a messy house. And when people want to come over, like mm-hmm. it just, she's like, it just bothers me. I don't want it to be that way. And I said to her, Helga, <laughs> you're not wrong in saying that there should be this is the standard or whatever but what runs becomes the problem is you guys have this tug back and forth and you're losing influence with your child because you're Mm -hmm. focused on the room and you really okay well guess whose child doesn't like to clean their room it all comes back to haunt you now (laughs) yes so henry and i have the same dang thing and i think of how go regularly but i mean but i'm learning and i think about how i before i even Mm -hmm. knew what that was like with saying alga you know oh you be careful Mm -hmm. but then when you're standing in your and Mm -hmm. it's in your own thing it is it it feels like a big deal but really it isn't that big of a deal it's not and I, th- I think of <coughs> moments in my girls' lives. You know, I'm, I'm a girl dad. I grazed girls. Oh, and, yeah. Um, there is a lot of what we call girl drama that mm-hmm. goes on, and especially once they get to be middle schoolers. And I can remember a lot of times my girls would come home and they would tell me some of the things that their friends had either said to them or done to them. Mm-hmm. And it was very hurtful. Or some things that they got caught up in in a group of girls that I was like, oh, my word. They're, you know, this you just... You you can't treat people this way, you know. And I and I wanted to just jump in and just wrench that whole thing out of yeah. out of proportion. Just and and what I found is, you know, we had a lot of that stuff in my world growing up. You know, right? Where, we where, all did. Where I'd have I'd have, and it was it, well, I know it was different because it was boys. But me and my boys growing up, I mean, we get into fights, yeah. man. 
I mean, I can remember one of the one of my best buds growing up. I mean, he punched me one day because I kicked his basketball and he got mad at me. And just you know, and if my parents had stepped in, I mean, they could have charged him with assault and all these crazy things that they could have said. You're going to scar my child forever. And yeah, I got a memory of it, and it's not a good memory. But we figured it out. We worked it right. out. And now looking back on it, you know, all these decades later, I bet in that moment it would have felt like a big, big deal to me as a parent. Mm-hmm. But now looking back on it as an adult, it was not as big a deal. So there's so many of those things that, and what I'm not saying is. Don't address it. That you can't address things. <laughs> so there's that thing. But at the same time, if you're, you're, you got to just have some perspective. That's all I can say. You right. just got to back off and just and watch how this thing works itself out and be very measured and very intentional about how you handle things like that so that you don't completely make something out of what you what really isn't anything. Right. And I think so. what you said before was really important as parents, we can, you know, train ourselves to you know, take a step back before it becomes, we don't feel Mm -hmm. the big deal Mm -hmm. until we've heard what's happening and we can, you know, we are going to help guide them through that. Because our kids are a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And um, it it reminds me of, I've had parents come to me a lot of times and and there'll be some really big things that their Mm -hmm. kids will drop on them. I mean, questions about, you know, about their faith or about their sexuality, mm-hmm. or about just what they want to do with their life. Mm-hmm. And the tendency in every parent is to just really muscle up and really start getting, you know, really involved so that we can fix that or mm-hmm. to keep that from happening, whatever it is that we don't want to happen. And I always, my advice to parents on that is, I said, just calm down. Don't overreact. Mm-hmm. Ask a lot of questions. And lean into your kids so that they see you as a person that is not coming to confront me and to stop me or to change me necessarily, but to help me figure this out. Especially now I'm talking about older kids now. I'm talking about uh, teenagers at this point. Yeah, Um, but. When when that, they need a partner. They need somebody who is. With them. With them, alongside of them. We talked about that in the last episode. Not coming against them, but alongside of them. And also somebody who can be a positive influence in their life. And if you come at it too hard, then you lose all influence. And that's the thing you want to hold on to. And so being very measured, loving, accepting, understanding, and sympathetic mm-hmm. as they unload this stuff to you so that cuz you want them to be you want to be the person that they unload to. Mm-hmm. Right? And if they think, well if I tell my mom this or I tell my dad this, they're just going to yell at me or they're going to come down at me or they're going to go at my friends, you know, mm-hmm. or take me away from my friends, you know, because of what I've told them. Then you're just promoting them not telling you anything anymore. And that's really not what we want. And that's not what you want. You want them to be able to come to you and say, Mom, this is what's going on. And and then you not, you know, and then you be a partner with them of helping them figure it out. Mm-hmm. Of saying, well, all right, let's talk about that, you know. How does that how does that sit with you right now? You know, what do you think about this? I have asked my kids this as they've gotten older a lot more, and I find that it is very helpful. Rather than me telling them what I think, one of my first questions is, well, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. What do you think about what this friend said? Mm-hmm. What do you think about what your friend just did uh, to this this girl? What is that something you're okay with? 
even though I know the answer. Right. <laughs> I know what I want the answer to you're letting them take the reins I want to say the words and feel it and yeah. say it. And... I want her to figure it out or at least, and see that when, and, and most of the time they do. That's what I found. Most of the time they do. Probably a lot of times they already know when they come to you. Yeah, they do. But then it gives me the chance to come behind that and go, wow, that's that's a pretty good decision. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I think that's And you that's affirm right. them. And affirm them or help and show them, them that they can do it. So now they've got a little agency. And then I can also come behind if I see things that they Tweak haven't thought about. Per, yeah. I can say, well, have you thought about this? Mm-hmm. Or do you think maybe this is a good way to approach that? Or when you have the conversation with this friend that, you know, you're, you know, in conflict with, well, what do you think you're going to say? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about this? And so now we're, again, we're on the same team, side by side. We're working together on a problem. Yeah, your problem solving together. Exactly. And the other way of approaching it, you actually can oftentimes make your child feel like they are the problem. They are not the problem. Mm-hmm. This is something that, you know, I'm back to the therapy world. Something that we try to do when we work with people is when they bring something into the therapy room is almost do a visual where we say, okay, the problem is here. And we like set this plant on the, on the mm-hmm. table and we go, you are not the problem, right. but there is a problem. And mm-hmm. we're going to set it right here on the table and we're going to look at it together. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not blaming you. I'm not accusing you. I'm not, you know, calling you anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, here, here's the problem. Let's talk about it. That's different than saying you should not or you should have. Right. Right. Because then you've made me the problem. That's right. And just in the tone and the mm-hmm. word choice that you've used. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Yeah. Because I think our kids already feel like they're the problem. Oh, yeah. In every way, shape, or form. Or they're and super sometimes defensive. Yeah. And sometimes right? they, yeah. sometimes you might say, actually, you are the plant in the end. But you are kidding. the problem. So. You are the problem. Yeah. No. I think this is really helpful information. I think that, you know, if we as parents can just start putting these things into practice, we will just get that much further ahead with our Be kids. Be a non-anxious, calm presence in your child's life. Is Which is huge. very, very crucial. It's huge. I mean, because if everything they bring to you is a big deal, then that just adds to the stress of what they're already going through. Mm-hmm. So you want to be the calm place, the soft place where they can come. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a daughter in college now, and um, there she has her struggles that mm-hmm. she goes through when she's away from the house now. And um, I always dreamed that she would reach back out when she needed me. And I'm not saying she does... With everything, but something. But there have been times, and it 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 has been great. Yeah, um, I'll get a text or I'll get a phone call, and it would be just like, "Dad, here's what's going on, and I'm struggling." Yeah, and and here's the thing: I don't often have anything to say about how to fix it. I just go, and that sucks. I I see that that's tough for you, and I'm so sorry. <coughs> what can I do for you? Right. How can I do to? How, what can I do to uh, lighten that load? And a lot of times she'll be so nothing. I just might just feel better to her that she knows you know. Exactly. And so I say, okay, well, maybe next time we're together, let's talk. And then now I've got a basis to check back in. And so now I'll just check back in and say, I'm going. And sometimes she's figured it out. Other times she's got some new thoughts on it. And then we can hash it out together. She's really just telling you her highs and lows, you know. Pretty much. It's high low, (laughs) but it's just not. But it's it's not not sitting at the dining room table anymore. That's right.
Well, and I know a really practical thing that Jason has talked about uh, several times when he's been on here is, you know, that really his goal uh, with his kids, you know, apart from just wanting them to love God and love people, is he wants to maintain relationship with his kids. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us really want that. I want, as my kids get older, to be friends with my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really want to be friends with a six but no. No, but we all want our kids to like us. We've talked about that. Well, we've talked about that. But, you know, my goal, but, you know, that's an important thing to remember is my goal isn't to make this 13-year-old like me. My goal is no. hopefully when they're 20 that they trust me. Exactly. You know, when they're 25 that they trust me. And they may not always like, I said that to one of my daughters the other day. I said, you may not always like me, but I'm always here for you. Yes. You know, and I think that's a big part of it. But I think even more than just um, trying to have my kid know that I care about them and mm-hmm. I care about their mental health. I really want them to know that Jesus cares about them and that the church cares about them, mm-hmm. that there are other believers who care about them. You know, I did youth ministry for so long, and one of the things that um, I always felt really, I felt this responsibility was when I could tell that parents were telling their kids, hey, trust Nathan. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen to Nathan. Yeah. Or listen to this student leader. Or listen to what's going on. And there was a huge weight, I thought, because I was like, oh, dear Lord, y'all should not be. <laughs> them, don't right. let them listen. I don't know what I'm talking about. But there was this huge weight I always felt. And I tried to always take it as seriously as I could that when kids would come to me. And I, I frequently would have kids come to me and say, I'm really stressed. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm really depressed. I've had, I've had some students mm-hmm. talk to me before about uh, suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and all different kinds of mental health things. And being able to know that at that point, hey, I'm here not only as an advocate for this child, but really for this parent. This mm-hmm. parent has trusted me. Yes, that's huge. I remember yeah. when I met, when I first started coming to this church yeah. and I met the Kaufmans and right. they had, their children were young, younger, kind of tween, tween age, some right. of them, and then a few of them were younger. And my husband and I had no children, but we kept coming over to their house right. and they kept talking about this idea of you know, having other adults in your children's right. lives because there's going to become a point where yes. you might not be the person that you, that they go to even though you want them to. Yes. And you want to make sure you have this community of people mm-hmm. or other adults that have the same beliefs as you are going to continue to push your child towards that good life that mm-hmm. um, and the goodness of God in handling different circumstances. And so that was Absolutely. so, that was just really... Um, you know, eye-opening to me. And it's why I ultimately did student ministry because I didn't feel like I had that as a yes. student. And so to be able to go and do that um, and try to be that for other students, it is a tremendous responsibility. Yeah. And I, and it's so important in our kids' lives that we're not yes. just the only one. And so I wanted to make sure that in this conversation we have about how do we make sure we foster healthy communication with our kids. Uh, I also want you to know, you like your kid, as we said, as they become in those teen years, mm-hmm they they're not going to talk to you as much it's just natural mm-hmm. right and you want to keep those lines of communication as open as you can but it may be true and hopefully if you're bringing your kids to church and they love their student ministry uh, small group mm-hmm. leaders you want to make sure there are other adults in their life that when maybe for whatever reason and not through fault of your own no. not because you didn't foster healthy communication they're uh, their parent. They're not always. Yeah, there. there may be things that they just go, I don't want to talk to my mom. <coughs> I don't want to talk to my dad right. about this. You, one th- resource you have is that we, and we try to say this occasionally in the way that we talk about parenting, Christian parents don't have to parent alone. Mm-mm. That when we, when we are in community with one another, there are all these aunts and uncles that are around who 
these brothers and sisters in Christ who are surrounding my kids. And my hope is that my kids will talk to those adults when they're at that age where it's just uncomfortable talking to your mom mm-hmm. and dad about it. And you and here's the role you as a parent play is you need to encourage that yes. as well. Hey, this is a person that if for some reason you can't talk to me, I hope you'll talk to them. Mm-hmm. Please don't just go talk to your 14-year-old friend. No, about, they are uh, not the person to go to They don't know that. what's going on yes. with all your feelings. Go talk to this person. Trust them. I trust them. Yes. And then when you find out, maybe that adult leader comes and goes, because I've had to have these conversations. Hey, I just want you to know your, your, your daughter, your son, they're talking to me about this. I just want you to know we're talk we're, we're talking about it and everything's okay. And I can see sometimes in parents' eyes, there's feeling, what have I done that they didn't tell me? Right. What have I done? Don't don't become offended. Don't take it personally. Don't even be afraid. You did the right thing by bringing them and to adults who they with, can trust. Yes, absolutely. That is huge. And I, as a parent, I'll just let you know, I'm I'm I really am the first one to try. I try to go first on this in that. Uh, my daughters, especially my daughters who have been adopted, they have experiences that I don't understand uh, simply because uh, I was raised in my family of origin. Mm-hmm. I was raised with my biological parents. Well, they will have struggles emotionally, mentally mm-hmm. around that. But I know there are people, men and women in this church who I love dearly, who have had that same experience Amen. and have gone to Jesus with that. And sometimes gone to therapy with it, right? Or a combination. Well, yeah. I, well, obviously a combination if they're if they're uh, if, if they're uh, followers of Jesus. But sometimes it's sometimes it's they're 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 talking with my kids, mm-hmm. right, about these things. And so I have one uh, person in particular that my my daughters go regularly, and they just mm-hmm. have uh, breakfast with them, or they have mm-hmm. lunch with them, and I tell them, I said, "Hey, I know there are times." Because in our situation, it's very delicate in that there are things that they don't want to tell me about their mm-hmm. feelings about their biological parents because I'm hurt. not their biological parent. And they're mm-hmm. afraid of offending me or they're afraid of whatever. And our girls do go to therapy. Mm-hmm. They have all of those things. And all of, all of our girls, even our biological daughter, goes to therapy. But there are things they tell this uh, brother and sister in Christ mm-hmm. who has had the same experience as them that I know they're not talking to their therapist about. Mm-hmm. And I am thankful for the fact that I can trust them. I don't even know what they You don't what need they to know about. everything. <laughs> but I trust because you you <coughs> love Jesus. And I know this, this, this person loves me. Mm-hmm. They are always trying to do what's best for my kids. And so I would just want to encourage people as, yes, all the things of let's foster healthy communication in our families because you hope that you're the one they come to. And mm-hmm. when they come, you want to be ready to do it well. But it's also good for us to say, hey, here are other adults that if you don't feel comfortable talking yes. to Yes, and they can have healthy relationships with those other adults that then yes. ultimately can help them steer through conversations that they might not want to come to you with. And as a parent, you can yes. feel confident knowing that that those conversations are going to be directed back to Jesus and back to the goodness that he wants for them yes. and that you as a parent want for them. Well, and I, so I think on, on the practical steps, what that means then is one, as we've said since the beginning of this whole podcast, you you need to be bringing your kids to church. They need to be involved. Mm-hmm. If you've got students, they need to not only come on Sunday mornings, nope. they need to be at these student events that happen. Anytime that our student leaders are there to hang out with the kids. I mean, there's multiple opportunities. There's now first Saturday and parent ministry events and these mm-hmm. students. There's, there's all a lot kinds of opportunity. Of stuff. 
Make sure they're a part of that so they're building this trust and these relationships. But you too should also be building relationships with these student leaders so you feel safe to trust. You know, I know Sawyer, or I know my wife is a student leader. I know Jennifer. Mm -hmm. I know Leah. I know Bill. I know Audrey. I know Pat. I know these leaders, and I trust them to speak truth to my kid in a loving way that points them back to Jesus. And as was always my case, even when kids would come to me because— this is just the nature of it. Not because these parents were doing anything wrong. Sometimes the stress and anxiety kids feel is, I'm afraid I'm going to let my parents down. Yes. Or I'm afraid my parents are mad at me. Or they only want X, Y, and Z. My job is not just to point them to Jesus, but also to say, hey, your parents are trying as hard as they right. can. And maybe they didn't get this one situation right, or maybe they didn't get this thing right, but they love you. You got to have grace for them. You got to you know, do this. They're not just pointing them to Jesus. They're, they're trying to point them back to you. Right. And so... You want this. Yeah. And if you have kids that are in elementary age or yes. younger even, uh, we're very intentional in uh, kids ministry and children's right. ministry also about having regular leaders yes. in each classroom because it's all about the relationship, That's even at right. those young ages. Now, we know that a seven-year-old isn't probably coming in and telling every sure. single thing. They might. They but might they do might. a repeat. They might tell you about their finger yes. at home, tell you the parent, and then come in and tell us, too. That's fine. Um, but, you know, we have these leaders in place regularly because, especially as they get into the older teen years, I saw that with my son. Yeah. It's great. It's another adult. And, well, and there are certain things that, that he was yes. more comfortable going and talking about with them. What you're trying to do in the as a parent in the children's ministry years, the elementary years, is you're just trying to set the rhythm of life up for them that says mm -hmm. you can talk to people at church. Mm -hmm. They may not have anything at seven to tell their second grade leader no. that's that important. And when they're 18, they may not remember who their second grade leader was, but they will remember the feeling of, I felt safe to talk. Mm -hmm. I felt safe to tell people things at church. So don't wait until the middle school years. Oh, no. Start in the elementary school years of telling them, hey, you can talk to them. Tell them things that scare you. Tell them things that worry you. Tell mm -hmm. them things, all those kind of things, so that they feel this safety of, hey, church is a place I can talk about my feelings. Absolutely. So yeah. I think foster the communication at home, but also try and foster it here at church yeah. because it will pay dividends on Later the back on. end for you uh, when they're an adult and they feel safe to talk at church and with you. And the more people they can have to talk to, it's just better. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if you guys have any uh, questions, thoughts, anything like that, feel free to use the link in the show notes and send us some feedback. Tell us what makes you crazy. Yeah, tell us what makes you crazy because, we, you know, again, we have a long list of things ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we got all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but uh, we're happy to take a look at what makes you crazy because if it makes you crazy, it's probably making someone else crazy. So. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, you all have a good. Good. Not great. <laughs> day. Take care, everyone. Bye.